Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Welcome to our Catechism class. Today we're looking at the second part of Lord's Day 44, and the title of our Catechism class today is the strange Latin phrase, Simul Justus et Peccator. So we're going to commence by reading Philippians chapter 3, and verse 12 to verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes in this passage, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the praise of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Catechist has already walked us through the Ten Commandments, explaining and expounding upon their meaning, comparing them with other biblical passages and applying them in a very practical manner to our own lives. But before we can leave the subject of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, there is a serious problem and one that we ought to address. And that is how many of us as Christians can say that we have perfectly kept the law. Preaching on the Ten Commandments a few years ago, I confess publicly from the pulpit of a certain church that as a sinner I break the commandments every day, that I do it in thought and in word and in deed. And there was a very audible gasp from one of the older lady members. That was a huge church, and this lady was sitting away at the back, so it must have been quite a loud gasp. And the look of horror on her face suggested to me that she expected the pastor to be so holy in life that he would never ever break one of the Ten Commandments. But the fact is that I do, and so do you. And the Catechist deals with this in question 114 and 115. Let's ask the question, can we keep the commandments? Question 114. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? The answer is no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. Well, the law is perfect. And if we could keep it perfectly, we would be able to be perfect in the sight of the Lord. After all, the psalmist in Psalm 19, verse 7, tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. But there was only ever one person in the whole of human history who could keep the law perfectly. And that person was God's sinless Son, the Lord Jesus. So even when we're converted, we're still unable to keep the law. And the Catechist is firm in his belief that we are sinners and that we will never achieve perfection in this life 
until we reach heaven and home to be with the Lord. So he teaches us that no matter how holy we are, no matter how close to the Lord we think we may become, the most faithful of believers we may be, the most enthusiastic prayer warriors, or the most circumspect Christian in our walk, we will all slip and fail, and we will let the Lord down. The best of us as believers fall well short of perfection. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul examines himself as a Christian and he confesses, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 to 15. One day I was visiting some friends and they asked me to pray before the meal. And as usual, when I prayed, customarily, I would pray that God would make us thankful for the food and I would conclude the prayer with, forgive all of our sins. Amen. And my gracious host was quite upset with me and informed me that I didn't need to pray that prayer for He had not sinned all that single day. I said nothing. But in my mind was 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. that says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. To say that you haven't sinned is in itself a sin. Read Romans chapter 7 and verse 22 to verse 25. But what makes us different from unbelievers, very different, is the fact that we have within us the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin. And we mourn over it and we loathe the sins that we do. Unlike the ungodly, we take no pleasure in our sins and instead we repudiate them. Then we learn what our heart is really like. It's the process of sanctification. We recognise that sin when it occurs. We learn to avoid those sins. And it's hard work. The Catechist says here that it will take earnest patience for us to learn to live by even some of the laws of God. We have to work hard at it. And we have to work hard at it all the way through our lives, as long as we are living in this sinful flesh that we inhabit. There's no magic bullet to make you holy, or sanctified, or cleansed, or filled, no amount of praise, no supernatural experience, no spiritual baptism, no higher life. Just get on with it. Live the life and seek after godliness. It's hard work. But the psalmist says it's a blessed form of work. In Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now Martin Luther had a phrase to describe this situation where a person is at the same time, the one time, a sinner, and at the very same time in the sight of God a saint. He called it simul justus et peccator. The phrase simply means 
simultaneously, both sinners and saints. Simultaneously, simul, justus is the word for justice, the Latin word for justice. Simultaneously justified and et peccator. Peccator is sin. And so we are justified before God, even though we are prone to sin and temptation. And the reason for that is because my relationship with God doesn't depend on my righteousness. It depends on Christ's righteousness. One of the wonderful doctrines of the cross is double imputation. At the cross, Jesus took upon himself my sin. We all know that. But do we also realise that at the cross, he also imputed to me his righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 Paul writes, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when God, who is thrice holy, looks upon a sinner like me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, whose perfect obedience fulfilled the law for me. The late R.C. Sproul explains this very simply. He says, in and of ourselves, under the analysis of God's scrutiny, we still have sin. We're still sinners. But by imputation and by faith in Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is now transferred to our account, then we are considered just or righteous. This is the very heart of the gospel. So can we keep the commandments? No, we can't. No matter how good we may be, no matter how sanctified we may be, no matter how good a Christian we may think we are, we still sin. So why then do we preach the law? It's an obvious question. If we can't hope to attain perfection in this life, why do we preach the law? Why do we teach children the Ten Commandments? And why do we preach the law with such sternness? And that logical question, this follow-up question, brings our instructor, the Catechist, to question 115. He asks, If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly it is God's will he asserts that these commandments should be preached and that they should be preached fervently and strictly now there's two reasons that he gives us for this the first one is to make us conscious of our sinful nature first so that throughout our life we may become more and more aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. The second reason he gives in his answer is to create in us a spiritual desire for the perfection of God. Second, he says, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. In Reformed theology, we commonly speak of the three uses of the law. The law teaches us that we are sinners and brings us under conviction so that we can repent of those sins and be forgiven. The first use of the law. The law is our schoolmaster, says Paul. 
the law teaches us that we are sinners. How would we ever know that lying was a sin or dishonesty was a sin if the law had not taught us that? And the law is our standard. It's the second use of the law. It's what we aim for in our Christian life and character. This is one of the aspects of the law that the Catechist points out to us here. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In 1 John and 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So the law is our schoolmaster to make us realise that we are sinners and to drive us to the Lord. The law is our standard, what we aim for in our Christian life and character. And the law is finally the basis of how any godly society should be ordered. So while we're well aware of our own shortcomings, while we're aware of our failures as Christians and our sins of omission and commission, we enthusiastically read and preach the law because it brings us, ourselves, under its tutelage. It causes us to repent when we become aware that we have broken the law. Psalm 32 and verse 7, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sins. And First John 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In our next lesson, with the help of our instructor, we shall see why prayer is such an important part of the Christian life, why it is essential for our Christian walk, and what is the true nature of prayer, and what should be included in our prayers when we come before the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.